here it is once again pride month happy pride everyone there is one thing that i encounter literally every single year in the month of june and that is that I will hear someone say, or now post it on so, social media, why do we need a gay pride month anyway? Why not a straight pride month? Well, uh, the answer of course is every single month, literally every single day, is dedicated to straight pride. The heteronormative binary is literally celebrated in, well, every celebration. It is the norm, the default in our culture. Much like being white or male or Protestant has somehow become the default. Now, these things are true. These things are not true, of course, for everyone. In fact, there is an astounding number of people in the world who are not heterosexual, white, or cisgender. And for those that don't know, the word cisgender means that one identifies with the gender that one was born into at birth. Although even that is between trans and cisgender, there's more of a range than a either or. There are an astounding number of people in the world who are not heterosexual, white, male, cisgender, Protestant men. In fact, this particular grouping of categories of person is not even most people in the world. And yet, it still seems to be treated as the default. Now, the LGBTQ community is also not most people in the world, but we are amazingly diverse. We are made up of lesbians and gay men and bisexual people of all genders both cisgender and trans and everything in between, and people who don't well fit easily into any of those categories. So basically it includes everyone who is not, well, straight. It can also include people who are aromantic or asexual, genderqueer or intersex, non-binary or pansexual. It is really a very inclusive group. And it also includes people of all, all races, all religions, all socioeconomic backgrounds. We are literally everywhere, whether we're seen by others or not, we're there. Now, one thing that we all do have in common though, no matter who we are, is that we all go through some kind of coming out process. For some reason, for some of us, 
this process is harder and more traumatic than for others. But at some point in our lives, we have all had this moment when our still quiet inside voice says to us, you know, I really do only fall in love with people of my own gender. Or maybe, hey, I seem to be attracted to people of both genders, or maybe all genders, or maybe I really can't feel the least bit comfortable pretending to be the gender that everyone else seems to think that I am. Now there can be a million variations of this, but those of us who are a part of this community have come to the internal revelation that we are not the default and we are never going to be. And at the very instant that this revelation comes to us, it is followed very closely by a question. Okay, so now what? Now, some of us are extremely lucky to have support, a supportive family and possibly even our employer or church that is there for us as we go through this change in how we view our authentic selves. But even if that is true, there is still much of the world that is not. And the truth is, when this realization occurs, even if we have a strong and loving support group, it can really feel like we are up against a wall. We are stopped in our tracks by something that is so immense that we simply cannot continue to go forward as we always have. And having been stopped in our tracks, we turn around and we look at everything that has been our life up until that point. And we have to decide what to do with it all. What do we do next? And that is different for everyone too. Now, some people report that it was no big deal, that they always knew and so did their family and life just sort of went on. But that doesn't mean that there weren't choices that had to be made. But for most of us, to some greater or lesser degree, we find ourselves at that moment in a state of shock, flattened, at least for the moment. We suddenly realize that much of our lives thus far was based upon a lie, but that we ourselves were innocent in that lie because we just then at that moment even realized the truth about ourselves, ourselves. Now, how much trauma we experience in the coming out process in part is dependent on when we were born. For those of us who were born in the 1950s, like I was, we began our journey through absolutely no fault of our own in the middle of the lavender scare. 
a relentless operation by the national authority to detect and discharge all workers alleged to be gay. We as infants were too young to really understand what was going on, but our parents were not. They were fully aware of it. Which brings me to another point. Those of us who were born into this, we were born into this beautiful rainbow family. We know we are going through the coming out process, but something that's often missed is our loved ones. Whether they want to or not, they go through it too. Our parents and families also have to decide how they are going to respond. Are they going to accept us or reject us? And what are they going to tell their friends and family and coworkers? And what if we've already gotten married and had children? And let us not forget how incredibly complicated their, their world just became. And so for those of us who were born in the 50s, we had parents that were born in the 20s and 30s. Parents who were no doubt aware of the famous, or shall I say perhaps infamous, drag balls that were a significant part of the Harlem Renaissance in the 20s and 30s. Or that the zoot suit culture among Mexican-American youth in the 1940s was a haven for both homosexuality and cross-dressing. Both communities were not only sensationalized, but demonized by the press, if for no other reason, because doing so sold newspapers. Did the association with the LGBTQ community and people of color make the LGBT community seem even more threatening to white heteronormative America? Or was it the other way around? Probably both. But this was the culture that my parents, my parents, born, both born in 1920, grew up in. So perhaps they can be forgiven for not being entirely supporting, supportive of me growing up. I'm sure they did the best that they could. And looking back, I know now that some of the decisions that they made must have been made because they knew something about me that I had not yet learned and wouldn't until after they were gone. But for those of us who go through the coming out process for ourselves, not because of others, the process, even when traumatic, is so liberating. Once we realize that we are never ever going to fit into this default, this knowledge gives us license to decide for ourselves exactly what do we want our lives to look like? Who are we gonna tell? Who are we gonna to try to hide it from? How are we gonna dress? And for who and when? What are we gonna call ourselves? What pronouns are we going to use? How are we going to handle the people in our lives who are not accepting? 
And what if it is not us, but rather our child, our spouse, or parent? Much the same questions arise for them. And choices are made there too. It turns out though that the choices we make, those of us who are in the LGBTQ community, who are born into it, the choices that we end up making, we make largely because we are up against that wall. Some of us can pass, some of us cannot, no matter how hard we try. But choices are made, choices must be made. And sometimes those choices are amazing. Barbara Hammer was 35 and married and teaching at a community college when she came out as a lesbian. She made choices. Following the exiting of her marriage, she, quote, took off on a motorcycle with a Super 8 camera, unquote, and became well known for being one of the innovators of lesbian and queer film genres. Her career extended over 50 years. Hammer is renowned for producing experimental movies dealing with women's issues, gender roles, and lesbian relationships, as well as handling issues of growing older and having an extended family. She was a vocal advocate for the right to die movement, driven by her own experience of ovarian cancer, which ended her life in 2019. These were the choices she made when she was up against her wall. And today I celebrate her. Bayard Rustin was born in 1912. He was an African-American leader in community organizations for civil rights, socialism, nonviolence, <clears throat> and LGBTQ rights. Bayard Rustin was involved in a lot of stuff over his long career including the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in 1963 and the New York City School boycott in 1964. But possibly the biggest contribution that he made was that he was the guy that taught the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King the Gandhian principles of nonviolent resistance. Rustin went to work for Dr. King, but always stayed in the background in the shadows, fearful that his status as a gay man would harm the movement. Eventually though, in the 1980s, he would testify in favor of New York City's gay rights bill. Rustin was later quoted as saying, I was not involved in the struggle for gay rights as a youth. I did not come out of the closet voluntarily. Circumstances forced me out. While I have no problem with being publicly identified as homosexual, it would be dishonest of me to present myself as one who was in the forefront of the struggle for gay rights. I fundamentally consider sexual orientation to be a private matter. As such, it has not been a factor which has greatly influenced my role as an activist. 
Today I celebrate him. The realities of race, gender, and economics can greatly determine how someone responds when they're up against that wall. Largely because these things so heavily influence what choices are available. Christine Jorgensen was born in 1926, and she was the first person to become widely known for having sex reassignment surgery. And this was in the 1950s. She became an instant celebrity with her transition was covered by the New York Daily News. And she performed as an actress and nightclub entertainer and recorded numerous songs. She often publicly spoke on the experience of being transgender and published an autobiography in 1967. Before her coming out, Christine served as a GI in World War II. Today I celebrate her. Mother Flawless Sabrina was born in 1939. She is the one who is largely responsible for taking the idea of the drag balls of the 20s and 30s and making them into a network of houses where transgender people could support one another both emotionally and financially by performing drag queen pageants all over the country. Admission could be charged and resources could be distributed. And this network became a haven not only for trans folks who are not even accepted or not often accepted by the rest of the marginalized gay community in the 1960s, but also for homeless gay youth. Who can say how many homeless gay and trans teens were taken in and given back a life because of mother flawless Sabrina's efforts? And today I celebrate her. Marsha P. Johnson was born in 1945. She self-identified as a drag queen and gender non-conforming. Marsha Johnson was black and often was homeless and engaged in survival sex. And that is, she would, she would do sex work just to eat. She used to decorate and adorn herself with the flowers that she found while sleeping under the tables used for sorting in the flower district of Manhattan. As a result of her work as a street prostitute, she claimed to have been arrested over a hundred times. She also said that she was once shot she spoke of having her first mental illness episode in 1970. She would walk up, up naked, walk naked up Christopher Street and be taken away for two or three months to be treated with antipsychotic meds until she was released again back to the street. Sometimes she would live with a friend, but only when it was very cold out about 10 degrees, she said. Marcia was just doing what she needed to do when she found herself up against that wall. But in her case, that wall turned out to be the stone wall. 
Now, there are a lot of conflicting accounts of what actually sparked the events of June 28th, 1969. But most of the accounts seem to indicate that Marsha P. Johnson and a mixed race Bush lesbian by the name of Stormy DeLavere were the two people most responsible for setting off the crowd who fought back against the police that night. The Stonewall Riot is the event that we are celebrating every June for Pride Month. Remember them, say their names. And by the way, in 1992, right after one of the pride parades that exists largely because of her, Marsha P. Johnson's body was found floating in the Hudson River. Cause of death was undetermined, it was ruled, but she had a significant wound on the back of her head. Marsha P. Johnson did not set out to be a hero. Martha P. Johnson just found herself up against the wall, a stone wall. And she did, like we all do, she did whatever she needed to do to survive and thrive. What do you do when you find yourself up against the wall? Now, there's many things you can do, but one of them is, you can climb it. It is this, by doing whatever we need to do to survive and thrive, this is how we climb that wall. This is how we rise. There are millions of others whose names will never be known to us, but we are all heroes, everyday heroes. We are the high school teachers who stay in the closet until we retire so we can keep working, but still quietly mentor the students that need it, even if they don't know it yet. People who quietly go through their lives raising kids and going to work until one day someone says, when do we get to meet that husband of yours? And she replies casually, oh, I don't have one, but my wife will be here next week. We are the people who always hold the Thanksgiving dinner at our house and invite every single member of the LGBTQ community so that because we need to be family to one another because so often our families of origin abandon us. We are all heroes. Every one of us here at this church where we make a safe and loving space for all. We are all heroes. You are all heroes. Thank you. This is how we rise. <laughs>